Open up your Bibles, please, <coughs> to James chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in there. And uh, just as a, a little reminder for November 1st, you're going to get an extra hour to work. <laughs> that was a poetic pause on purpose. And when you say, no, 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 you don't get it, Pastor. When, when we have uh, daylight saving time, it's an extra hour to sleep. And it's like, mm, well, okay, I guess that's an option. Uh, but anyway, whether you sleep or whether you work or whether you uh, come here early on uh, November 1st, don't forget to set your fall back. Remember, spring ahead, fall back. So you get an extra hour next Sunday, and uh, what a great day to get that extra hour with uh, Harvest Gathering being here. So make sure you invite folks, and let's have a great Sunday next week. But let's have a great Sunday today, what do you say? And uh, let's ask God, God to move with us. As we like to say here at the church, we like to peel God's Word one passage at a time, and we'll be looking at James chapter 5, specifically three verses this morning. We'll do a little bit of review uh, in James 5, uh, but we're going to be centering on verses 10 through 12 in just a moment. And uh, the other thing, especially for folks that haven't uh, been here before, first-time visitors, and thanks so much for being here, we like to make this place known as the church that God's love is building. Folks, it's all about God's love, what he's doing through us as a, as a congregation. And uh, if you're new, there's a good possibility you're going to get swamped by people today. If they don't know you, they're probably going to uh, come up to you. So don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. They, they're, they're all friendly. And, uh, but it's, it's for real. We want folks to know we love and care about folks. As I like to uh, say, and I'm going to rabbit trail for just a minute, the reason most people are looking for churches or they leave churches is because they don't feel loved by the church. They're not getting spiritually fed. So we really make it our goal here. We want to give you good spiritual food, which is, of course, what we'll do in the, the messages this morning in Sunday school, our evening service. Uh, the rooted teens want all the different things that we do here at the church. It's to help you grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus. Next thing, we want you to feel love. Uh, that's what, uh, quite frankly, and I, I blame myself for it. I look at myself and say, what's a pastor's job? Pastor is to shepherd the sheep, and that's no disrespect. Uh, uh, God, very much, uh, uh, as the chief shepherd, he shepherds us. And it's uh, pastors to love the people, know the people, which is why I stand out front and met so many fine folks this morning. A few of you snuck by me and got away, but uh, we'll try and get you on the way out. But God bless you. Thanks for being here this morning. And uh, again, what we're going to be talking about is uh, from James chapter 5, specifically verses 10 and uh, through 12. And we want to talk about this issue of enduring suffering and sickness. Enduring suffering and sickness. This morning, first thing I did, uh, uh, opened up my, I, I sleep with my phone and uh, I always, it's always there by the way, that's part of what pastors do. You sleep with the phone. You say, why is that? Because when you have an issue, it doesn't matter what time it is. When you need help, you got a call. And that's what we're there for. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, first thing I did, fortunately I didn't get any calls last night, so I was wide awake. And uh, popped it on, and I'm looking at uh, an issue where the president had talked with uh, the president or the leader of Nigeria. And the president asked the, the leader of Nigeria, why are you killing all the Christians? Took the leader back by uh, quite a few steps. Now, uh, I think it's around 35,000 Christians have been murdered in Nigeria since about 2015 in that range. 600 have been murdered, uh, slaughtered in the fields. Uh, herdsmen, if you will. 650 died so far this year by, uh, if you will, uh, jihadists who took out these Christians. And, and, I, and I appreciate that uh, the president asked the question, why are you killing Christians? Well, folks, many of you were at the VCY rally last night. You heard some things on, uh, or maybe you watched it via live stream or whatever, and realized that our country even though, yeah, we're, we're overall fairly calm and, and things are overall eh, somewhat good as far as the murder rate goes for Christians, which is about 
doesn't exist here in our country really, but you really know about the things that are ramping up in the country. Things that are happening, the elections coming up, and I'm not going to discuss the, the politics of it, but folks, let me say this before I, I get to the meat of our message this morning. Folks, God uses people to accomplish his will. God is not going to go to the polls and vote. Now, Romans 13 tells us that God will make sure the person he wants to be in office is going to get there, but he's going to use God's people for a great part to make that happen. So again, I'm going to leave it at that, but folks, if you haven't voted, please do so. You say, what does politics have to do with, with church? It has a whole lot to do because if we turn into Nigeria, you catch what I'm saying? If we turn into Nigeria and the, the government supports killing Christians someday, that's not a good thing. So folks, all I'm saying is this, you use your conscience, you ask God uh, what you believe you should do, but please don't be a conscientious abstainer from voting. God uses people to accomplish his will, and uh, we need God's people to go out and vote. All right, so I hope that's uh, an encouragement. Uh, and again, for those that hate politics in church, I'm not doing politics. I'm simply encouraging God's people to do what he's asked us to do, which is uh, take part in this world and do the things that we can do to help. All right, let's move on because uh, the last thing uh, uh, we want to emphasize is the negative. We want to look at, at how to overcome those issues from a biblical standpoint uh, when we go through suffering, when we go through problems. So here's a couple of things to, to get us started this morning. How do you cope personally with mental, emotional, and physical suffering? All right, probably every single person in here, one of those three things you've, uh, you've probably had an issue with at some point. And maybe you've got one of those issues going on in your life this very moment, okay? How do you deal with it? From a, from a godly perspective, what has God called you? How do you deal with that? We're going to hopefully give you some helps this morning. Here's the next one, and this is, boy, this is a thought provoker. Will God completely remove your suffering and sickness? Will God completely remove your suffering and sickness while you dwell on this earth? I think we all know the answer to that. How can you help comfort and encourage those who are going through struggles? So folks, we have, a, we have got a great body here this morning. Boy, I'm so thrilled to see you. And we need each other. We need the Lord. And we're going to look at James chapter 5 again to try and get some of the answers to these very important questions. So what we're going to do is we'll examine how to endure suffering and sickness and the necessity of avoiding foolish oaths. We're going to find a very kind of a, it's, it almost seems if you don't study the passage, there's a very weird gap, if you will, between verse 11 and verse 12. And let's read those verses. Let's go to James chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to read... Uh, just as a reminder for those that might not have been here last week, I want to go through uh, the first 12 verses, but we'll center mainly on verse 10 and on. All right, come now you rich, verse, chapter 5, James, verse 1. Come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. All right, so the first six verses, very quickly, we're not going to spend time on them, but is this. God is talking to the Jewish individuals who have been dispersed around, if you will, the world. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, the servant of God, to the twelve tribes which are scattered. So he's talking to the Jews. They've been scattered. They're being persecuted, if you will, by the rich folks, quite frankly. They didn't have money. They didn't have uh, goods and riches and so forth. And they're going through this horrific persecution. And here's God's answer to that group of individuals, the rich. Here's how you deal with those who are persecuting you. Verse 7, therefore, Christian, 
Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. All right, so the first eight verses, which we're, again, we're just giving a quick summary here. Here's what God's saying. Let God take care of it. Let me handle it is basically what God's saying. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. You're going to have to go through this issue. Basically, God's saying, why don't you let me avenge this? Let me handle the issue, okay? Nothing you can do about it. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, you're going through tough times, but let God avenge you. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Why is God saying this to these people? These individuals, and folks, they're no different than, than me and you. Do you go through struggles? Do you go through hard times? What happens when you're hurting? Well, one thing that can happen is you lash out at someone else. Hurt, I just heard this the other day. Hurting people hurt people. I love that. I'm going to do a whole message on it one day. Hurting people hurt people. Think about that. Why does that happen? Well, if I'm upset and my life seems to be going in the wrong direction and I'm not really in touch with God, quite frankly, and I'm, I'm upset and I'm not feeling right and I'm not in my right sorts, if you will, and I'm not definitely not in the right spiritual state, what do hurting people do? Bam, they reach out and they try and hurt somebody else. You lash out. It's a, it's a unfortunately, a human response. We hurt other people when we're hurting. Think about that. If you're going through a tough time and you're hurting and all of a sudden you become mean and crabby, and what exactly does the verse say? And this is exactly in response to that issue. Chapter, or verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Christian, he's not talking to the unsaved here, he's talking to Christians. Uh, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Folks, let me encourage you this morning, and then we'll move to, to verse 10. If you're hurting this morning, if your heart's sad, if you're going through sickness, if you've got issues at work, at school, at home, no matter where they are, what does the Lord ask us to do? To endure is quite frankly what he's asking us to do. Endure it. Come to the Lord, casting all your cares upon him because who he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. You've got to cast those cares upon him. All right, so let's move on. And uh, this morning, again, we're going to look at some examples of suffering and endurance and how to overcome these difficulties from a godly perspective. All right, James chapter 5, verse 10. Let's look at the blessing of patience. And how does he start out? He says, my brethren, again, brethren, speaking to Christians, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and Patience. Now, I'll tell you, I, I had a hard time deciding to pick out which one, which prophets I was going to look at. So many of the prophets have suffered. Folks, 12 disciples, how did each of their lives end? There's only one person that we know that may not have been martyred. They stood for Christ. They loved God. They worked their, man, everything. They worked their fingers to the bone for the Lord. The end result was martyrdom. Look at the Lord Jesus. Suffered, ridiculed, hated. The individual that had more love than anybody else on earth or ever will be on earth. How did he get treated? He worked hard. He suffered. He, he, he went place to place. He didn't have, as he says, I didn't have a pillow. I used a rock for a, a pillow. I went from house to house. Uh, I went through tough times, and yet the Lord Jesus, what does he say? I love you. And what does he do? He's dead. He dies. He comes back to life three days later, but he suffers. He takes the world's sin upon his back. You say, well, I, I work hard at church and I, and I try to be a good uh, a person when, I, when I'm dealing with my daily walk with people and I try to give to people and help people and I get zero thanks in return sometimes. It's just like it seems like I work and work and work and nobody cares. Well, folks, 
they do care. And God is saying to us this morning, if, if you've been in the trenches and you've been working hard for the Lord and you don't see a whole lot of thanks or a whole lot of uh, uh, blessings, if you will, coming your way, God says, would you, would you just take a look at what I did for you? I didn't live in a mansion. Didn't have a fancy horse to ride <laughs> back in the day. I lived in humble surroundings. I'd heal people. They wouldn't thank me. Hey, I, I healed that group of guys over there and uh, gave them sight. And the, uh, the one person returns and says, thank you. And the Lord looks around and he says, well, where's the other ones? Folks, it's, it's just part of life. Our minds don't always think that way. And it's like, man, you know, I give and give and give. And I give to my family and I give at work and I, and I try and I do the best I, I can and no one seems to care. Remind you, folks, that humans are humans. It's not always a good thing. And not all the time you're going to hear the praises and the accolades. And not like this morning when I walked in and I, I get emotional. I'll try not to hear. I'm walking in, talking to one of our fine families, and a couple of our ladies walk over, and uh, one of them hands me a, a nice card that uh, she had made. Had some nice hearts on it, had a nice picture on it, didn't it? And it just thrilled my soul. And then her roommate over here, she gives me a nice card. And it's like, wow, you know, how sweet is that? That they cared enough to take time and they drew some nice pictures for me and had some nice sayings on them. And I'm like, boy, uh, that thrilled my heart. And I love that. Thank you so much for doing that, ladies. And uh, folks, it's the same way. Not everybody's going to get a card like I got this morning. Not everybody's going to get a, a, a pat on the back. Not everybody's going to, sometimes we just forget. And it's like, but the Lord doesn't forget. Folks, can you endure suffering? Can you get through it? And, and God says, listen, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. This will be up on the screen. How about an individual named John the Baptist? He goes out preaching the word of God. He's telling folks to repent uh, because the Savior is coming. Get right with God. Here's how his life ended up, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 8. So she, uh, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me the head of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given, commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. So we have... A young lady, daughter of this evil man. And he makes an oath. And we're going to talk about oaths at the end of the message this morning from verse 12. John the Baptist lived on locusts and honey and in the most humbling of circumstances. He goes out and preaches the word of God. He's a, a, absolutely a, a follower of Jesus Christ, promoting his ministry. Shouldn't he get something good? Doesn't he deserve something wonderful and great? And doesn't, shouldn't he have a, 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 the best of luxury of life, if you will? He didn't. He didn't. Not a single one of us would want to live where John the Baptist lived. Not a single one of us, except unless you're uh, uh, really uh, uh, into health foods. <laughs> Locust does not do it for me, folks. And John the Baptist ate. I like the honey part. That I like. I'm not so sure about the locust piece, but he eats humble food. He gets put in prison and has his head removed from his body. Why would the prophets who serve God and, and give to God and work hard and do everything they possibly can to serve the Lord and they end up in a bad ending? Take the prophets. Go back to the verse. My brethren, Christian, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Take them for an example. He's saying, listen, Christian, look how tough they had it. And they endured. Let's look at another one. We could go, go on all day. How about a guy named Stephen? Stephen. Here's an individual who loved the Lord with all his heart. He was serving the Lord with all his heart. 
and he's preaching the word of God with all his heart. He's being a strong witness for the Lord. And here's how Stephen's life ends. He's talking about the Lord and the government, the religious leaders of the day didn't appreciate him. <laughs> That's starting to get close to home, isn't it? And they did what? So the leaders take out Stephen and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Do not charge them with this sin. What's wrong with you, Stephen? Don't you have a backbone? Don't you want to stand up for yourself? Don't you want to fight this? Don't you want to get up and strike back at these individuals? Some of us would say, well, I can't believe he didn't do that. And would Stephen say, oh, Lord, I'm coming home, Lord. And Jesus stands up. He stands up. He gets off, if you will, the right hand of where he's sitting next to God, and he literally stands up, and he looks down at Stephen and says, Come on home, buddy. And that's exactly what happens. Yes, the, the, the persecutors used the stones. They killed them. And, P, and what, is, what is his heart? Talk about a guy who's got a loving heart. Folks, he's being killed. They're stoning him. They're killing him. And as they're killing him, what does he say? Do not charge them with this sin. Don't charge them, Lord, please. Somehow, maybe they can still get saved. Somehow, maybe their hearts can still be changed. Lord, please, it's, it's okay. I know I'm coming home to be with you. It's okay, Lord. Don't charge it against him. And he's, he's praying for these people that are killing him. Hey, folks, do you pray for those that are killing you? You say, what do you mean? Well, they may not have a gun. They may not have a knife. They may not be beating you in the face. But if I asked every single one here, probably sometime in your life, sometime maybe some of you are going through it as we speak, and you're feeling this. It's like, what do I do? What do you do? And what does the Lord say? He said, would you please, would you look at what the prophets have done? They loved God. They loved me, says the Lord. And they didn't strike back. They took it. You see, there's nothing wrong with defending your life. Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with defending your family. In fact, it's the right thing to do. But when there comes a time when there's literally no way out, literally no way out, and that's going could happen in our generation. I trust not. I pray not. That's why I tell you to go vote. I don't want it to happen in our generation. I'm asking for God's mercy. Lord, please, and I'm dead serious about this. Lord, would you please have mercy on us? Would you please uh, uh, help us to have a government that isn't going to put us in jail next year or the year after? Folks, it's, not, it's, it's dead serious. And uh, uh, the, the things that are going on right now, it's dead serious. The coronavirus is a tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen in our world. It's the tip of the iceberg. Read Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and you're going to see exactly what God says is going to be happening in the future. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that perilous times are coming. And folks, we're just starting to see exactly how this is going to go and how that satanic trinity from Revelation 13 is going to have power on this earth. It's coming. You say, are you trying to scare us? No. <laughs> I, but it, it is scary. I mean, I'm being dead serious right now. There are times are coming that are going to be exponentially worse than now. I'm praying the rapture comes before we get there. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here when that starts. But folks, that's why it's so important. Indeed, James chapter 5, verse 11 says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Folks, if you're going through tough times, hard times, if you're feeling like you're not valued, first of all, can I say this? As the pastor here, I guarantee you I love you. Every single person here, I can guarantee you your pastor loves you. He will do everything he can for you. 
You say, can you prove that? One person at a time, one family at a time. That's why we have dine with the pastor on Thursday nights. If we would stop growing, I could get you all in. <laughs> but we're doing it. One by one, family by family, trying to show you we love you, we care for you, we're here for you. And so many other ministry workers here, they love you, they care for you, they sacrifice. Folks, we don't have a large paid staff. We don't have Christian workers that are paid to do the teaching. We don't. We don't have paid workers that do the worship time. Folks, it's all volunteer. Why? Because they love people. They love you. They care about you. The blessing of endurance, Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, for God's anger, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. I love this. Weeping may endure for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. What is God saying here? Have you ever gone to, and it's literally, he's, he's looking at it. He understands humans. All of a sudden, today has just been the worst day of your life. The burden is beyond what you can bear. You go to your bed. And folks, I always say, when you go to your bed and the lights are out, nobody can see you. And men cry in their pillows. Ladies cry in their pillows. Teenagers cry in their pillows. Young people cry in their pillows. And their hearts are heavy and their hearts are broke. And they don't know where to go. And God says you go to bed at night sometimes and the grief and the suffering is so difficult and it's so hard. And you cry yourself out to the Lord. Lord, I need your help. And you ought to do that. That's a good thing. I'm not saying you have to cry. I'm not saying you have to moan. But I'm saying what God is saying here is sometimes the grief is so overwhelming. The pain is so overwhelming. You go to bed. You cry out to God. You cry out to him literally. And he said, but joy comes in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Joy comes in the morning. All of a sudden you wake up and God says, I'm here for you. Let me help you through the day. Yeah, it was a rough night. Yeah, it's been a rough week or a rough day. Yeah, you've gone through some tremendously hard things, but joy's going to come in the morning. I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. And you wake up, and it's a, it's a new day. A, a weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Job, the blessing of perseverance. What did Job say? Job say, and we're going to go to Job in just a minute from another part of our verses here. Do you remember Job? Everything this rich guy had, a nice family, wonderful uh, stock of animals, beautiful home, wonderful family, and old dirty old nasty Satan comes up to God and says, that guy Job, <laughs> you bless that guy beyond measure. He's singing your praises, God. You know why? Because he's rich. Because he's got a wonderful family. Because he's got more cattle than a guy could count. He's a phony, God. And Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is up there reaming out Job to God. And God said, I'm going to show you Job's character. You can take everything away but his life. And let's see how Job responds. And what's Job's response to all that? Folks, I, I, let me tell you. I'm human. You take away my family, I'm not going to be a happy camper. Not at all. You take away the, my possessions and my house, don't mean as much to me, but I'm not going to be happy. And maybe, just maybe, if it happened to one of us and it's like, God, what are you doing to me? How dare you do this? And we scream out at God, and we lash out at God, and we become angry because hurting people hurt others. Remember that? <laughs> I think you're doing wrong, God. I can't believe you do this. No, there's no God. God doesn't exist. If God really existed, he wouldn't allow me to go through this. What does Job say? And here's the, here's, here, I mean, you can't lose more than this guy lost. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. 
Wow. That's why Job's in the scriptures, because God is using him as an example. Though you take everything away from me, though you take my home, it's almost impossible to say, though you take my family, the people I love the most, though you take my cars, though you take my uh, home, though you take my possessions, though you take my bank account, though you take every single thing away from me, though you even slay me, God, I'm going to love you. Is that our heart this morning, folks? God's asking us to endure. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, I love this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Folks, that's not a saying. It's not something meant just to make us feel good for a moment. It's a reality. When the hard times come, when the hurting times come, when it's like I just don't know where to turn, and God says, I love you. And he's like, would you please, would you come up to me just like uh, uh, my children did or like I did with my parents and, and, and they're hurting and something's upset them and they're crying and, and they don't know what to do and the little children uh, uh, come to us as parents and their hearts are broke over something and you grab them and you hug them and you pull them into your arms and you say, it's okay. It's okay, son. It's okay, my dear daughter. I, I love you. I care. We're going to get through this. It's okay. And folks, that's what God does for you. I like to say this, and I've said it here many times. I'm a big guy. Some people are, and I hate this, but some people are intimidated by me because I'm a big guy. But I'm just a big old teddy bear. I'm just a little sinner for whom God died, or for whom Christ died. This body means nothing. I'm a little child, and I hold my hand up on a regular basis and say, Dear God, I can't do this on my own. I can't go through life on my own. I can't take the, the, some of the things that happened on my own. Would you please, I need you. And he takes my hand just like he'll take yours, and he'll walk you through life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will. Direct your paths, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Daddy, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm, I'm hurting. I, I need some help. And your dad comes up and says, come here, buddy. It's okay. We're going to get through this. I'm right here for you. All you have to do is come to me. I'm right here. Come here, buddy. Sit in my lap. Let me talk to you. Let me help you out. And God looks down at us and he says, listen, I don't care how much you weigh. I don't care if you're a big old bear like the pastor. <laughs> I just come here and sit in my lap for a little bit. Let me help you out. Let me walk you through this. Let me help you through it. It's like, Lord, I can't see. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, and, and I need your help. And he's like, would you, would you just read, your, read the word? What's he say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer. Daddy doesn't know what little girls and boys need until the little girls and boys come and talk to them. When they see the tears, when they hear the heartache, and then we can help them. And it's the same thing with God. He says, listen, I know you're hurting. I know it hurts. And you got to come to me. You got to talk to me. Would you please talk to me? Spend some time with me. Let's build that relationship. You see what I'm saying? It's so simple. But boy, we just bristle at it. It's like, ah, that's not going to work. Or Satan gets in the way. And we just think, it's not going to help. It will help. Because God promises it will. James chapter 5, verse 12. Hey, but above all, but above all, He's going into a really, like I said at the beginning, he's going into a really different area now. We're talking about let God avenge you against the rich. He's talking about endure suffering and pain. And now he's going to completely, what appears to change the entire focus. And here's the words of verse 12. Let's read them. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. 
Well, what does that have to do with what we just went through? A lot. First of all, Paul is saying, or James is saying here, above all these things, above the, the, the ridicule that you face from those who have more resources than you, above all those things when people hurt you, when circumstances are bad, when you're trying to endure, when you're trying to have patience, above all those things, above all, the primary position. My brethren, Christian, do not swear. Now, when we're talking about swearing here, we're not talking about bad language. All right? That's a total different context. The context here, and, the, and literally the word that is used in the Greek language here, is about making an oath you don't intend to keep. Rich man! Uh, your, your rent's due. Your, uh, your bills are due. Well, 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 uh, uh, um, um, I swear by the temple that I'm going to pay those bills. God says, don't do it. Uh, 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 the rich man comes and, and he's burdening you and, and you know you can't pay it, but you've got to somehow figure out how to... You know what this means? Yeah, sure, I'll do it. But you never intend to do it. That's the context here. God is saying, don't you swear by anything. Don't you swear by heaven. Don't you swear by earth. Where's your integrity? That's really what this verse is about. Integrity. The rich oppress you. The world oppresses you. You feel the pressures of life at times. And you'll say whatever you have to say to get through it. I hesitate to go here, but I've seen this happen multiple times where somebody is lying and they'll say this particular phrase, on my mother's grave, I swear this. Have you ever heard that? It's not a good thing to do. And you know what? They're lying. And the lying, why do they do it? They think, well, if I use the most... The thing that people will think is most near and dear to me, if I swear by that, people will believe me. But you have no intent to keep in whatever it is you pledged. Folks, here's a tough little lesson. Why do we lie? Revelation 21.8 says, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death or spiritual death. He's talking about a very blanket statement that every single person in their life at one time or another is told a lie. Sometimes the lies are quite regular. Why do we do that? Why do we lie? Young people, do you ever lie to mom and dad? Teenagers, do you ever lie to mom and dad? Do we ever lie to our teachers? Do we ever lie to our boss? Do we ever shade the truth? Why do we do that? Who do you want to protect? Yourself, of course, right? We lie to protect. The chances of getting caught in a lie, when we tell a lie, we're trying to say, boy, you know, if I get caught in a lie, the repercussions hopefully won't be as bad as if I tell the truth and I get in trouble right now. Let me tell you something I did with, and I'm going to get out of the Christian mode into the secular mode for just a moment with Christian principles, by the way. So many of you know I was in uh, law enforcement leadership for some lots of years, <laughs> 33 years. And here's what I tell our troops. If you mess up and you do something wrong, you come to one of your supervisors or you come directly to me if it's really bad and you let me know immediately. I will guarantee you my Friends, <laughs> the repercussions for coming to me up front and telling me the wrong you did are going to be far less than if I find out about it and you lie to me about it. Then you can kiss your job goodbye. But if you admit you're wrong, you admit what you did was wrong, and you let us know what happened up front, there will still be repercussions. 
but nowhere near what they'll guarantee they're going to be up to criminal prosecution if I don't know about it. Did you hear that? You say, you were the sheriff of Milwaukee County. Yes, I was. Did you ever go after criminal prosecution for your deputies if there's a bad egg? Yes. Yes. Do you know why? And I was asked this in a, a roundtable discussion at uh, the Crown Plaza this week on a, um, on a law enforcement issue, which I rarely do, but I took advantage of it this week for whatever reason. I felt led to go. And they're like, what's the biggest problem in law enforcement with holding officers accountable? You know what my answer was? Leadership. Leadership. Are you going to take a stand, Mr. Sheriff? Are you going to take a stand, Mr. Police Chief? Are you going to hold your troops accountable when they do commit criminal acts? Folks, it would cut down a lot of the problems. You say you believe in law and order? God does, so I do. <laughs> you believe in doing the right thing? Yes. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. had a message that he always preached. It's never right to do wrong. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. That's the way it is. It's God's way. So what is God saying here? But of all these things, my brethren, do not swear. Do not take an oath you don't intend to keep, basically, by heaven, by earth, or with any other oath. What else does he say? You want to see a couple of things that happened when guys made silly, ridiculous, foolish oaths? We just talked about Herod a few minutes ago. What happened to the John the Baptist when he made an oath about he'll keep his promise? John the Baptist's head was removed. We already looked at that this morning. How about an individual? Well, let's look at it real quick. Matthew chapter 14. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. What did she ask for? The head of John the Baptist. We already went through it, so we'll skip it for now. How about a guy named Jephthah? This is the most unbelievable passage in Scripture to me about an individual who made the ultimate foolish oath and it appears that he actually went through with keeping this oath that he should never have made. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon surely shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now let's think about the culture for a minute. We're looking at something way back in the Old Testament times, and it wasn't like today where we have barns and stables, and I mean, they had that kind of thing too, but they allowed animals to come in and out of their home. And he's like, Lord, if you'll give us the victory in battle, whatever comes out of my door, it's yours, and I'm going to burn it up, and I'm going to sacrifice it to you. Hey, you know, in the culture, sounds like an okay thing to say. Verse 32, so Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. All right, we got victory. Life is good. Verse 33, and he defeated them with error as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel, Karamim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Yeah. When Jephthah came to his house to Mizpah, what? There was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies the people of Ammon. And God says, do not swear by anything. The story ends there, and it's not a story, it's an account. What happened? What happened? The oath was made. She walks out the door. His heart is broke. Folks, this isn't an illustration. It's not a parable. It's a real-life situation. And what does the girl say? <laughs> Dad, if you promise God, you got to do it. Now, again, we don't know the outcome. It's never told us. 
And God never asks us to do human sacrifice, that's for sure. I don't know what happened. But I know his heart was broke. I know he realized the foolishness of his oath. And his daughter definitely realized it in the family. And God says, don't you dare swear by anything. Do you have integrity? James chapter 5 says what? But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall in the judgment. Your word should be a binding oath. I'm going to do this. You better do it. <laughs> That's what God's saying. Don't you swear by heaven. Don't you swear by earth. Don't you swear by any other thing. When you say yes, good enough. That's enough. In the Old Testament times, oaths were quite uh, uh, ready or readily done. And God says, no, stop the oath. Stop making foolish promises. Stop uh, looking at other ways to, if you will, burn your integrity. And that's all he's saying here. Don't try and uh, deceive people by coming up with some silly oath and swearing by different things and allowing your integrity to be ruined. Folks, and I'll close with this. What can ruin the integrity of Union Grove Baptist Church or of every, any single one of us individually? What can ruin us? What can give us a bad reputation towards those that are looking to us for leadership and guidance and spiritual help? Lying, poor integrity, scandal. God says, you, you got to watch yourself, folks. Would you let me avenge you when you're hurt? Would you endure during tough times? Will you allow me to watch over you and help you through the toughest of times? Will you maintain your integrity? God gave us a promise. The promise is this. I'm going to love you. I love you. And God says you were sinners. There was no hope for you. You were lost. You were gone. You were without hope. And God looked at every single one of us that's trusted him, and he came down and somehow through somebody planting, somebody watering, and finally the Holy Spirit touched your life, and you changed. Happiest day of my life was when I was a teenager and I went down to the basement of my parents' home and I got on my face and finally, after hearing the gospel, it finally registered and I said, oh God, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for that, Sid. And Lord, I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. You say, what? Were you a murderer? Were you a rapist? Were you a burglar? Were you a robber? I said, no, I just, just a sinful guy. Didn't love God, disobedient to parents, nasty, mean. You say, well, that's not that bad compared to some people. You're right. But it's bad enough. It's bad enough to lose me a shot at heaven. And God says, listen, you old rascal, you, you got it right. You are a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. And you need Jesus more than anything else in this world. Just like you. Remember where you were when you got saved, when you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and all of a sudden it registered? Folks, what are we doing to serve God? We have the biggest day of, the, of Union Grove Baptist Churches, potentially the history of the church, coming up November 1st. We need you here. We need you to invite folks. We need to see more folks come to Jesus. Folks, that's what this is all about, bringing folks to Jesus, helping them, helping us, helping you as we walk our daily walk to love God and to serve Him. Nothing more important than that. Finally, I have to close with this as always. There's some people maybe watching on the internet today, maybe someone sitting here right now, and if you died right now, you're not 100% sure if you died, you go to heaven. And I want you to know that more than anything else in the world. I want you to know that heaven will be your home someday and you'll have eternal life. Eternal life. I was talking to a gentleman this week, and he said, Brother Rich, he says, sometimes you, you talk... Uh, in Christian terms that not everybody understands. And he's like, when you talk about being saved or uh, uh, um, receiving Christ and getting his grace, he said, sometimes you leave out the most important piece of that. And I'm like, well, what's that, brother? And I love when people tell me it because it's like, you know, sometimes I just miss it. He says, it's eternal life. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. 
And I said, thanks so much for sharing that with me. You say, you're a pastor, you got two doctorates. Sometimes you got to hear people and listen to them. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I learn still. Do you know that you have eternal life? Here it is, very quickly. Number one, the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. God says because we sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would burn forever in an awful place called hell because the wages of our sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on that cross for your and my sins. John 3.16. And God says, I've got a free gift for you. I've got a free gift. I want you to take the free gift this very moment. How do you take that free gift? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved? Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from your sins. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Folks, whether you're watching out there or whether you're listening in here, have you ever said, dear God, I'm, I'm lost. I, I know I'm a sinner. I want to go to heaven with all my heart. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, I, I, paid, the, I paid it for you. I paid the entire penalty for you. Would you take the free gift and embrace it? Father, thank you for this time we've had this morning together to study your precious word. And I pray now, Lord, as we come to maybe the most important time of this service where Maybe it's someone is ready to make that decision to trust Jesus as their personal Savior. Christian, if you're here this morning, are you living for the Lord? Christian, have you uh, gone through some tough times? Are you enduring by trusting in what the Lord has promised to give you? Christian, have, uh, have you uh, been tempted to uh, violate your integrity by uh, giving oaths or swearing things that we really shouldn't? Would you just commit it over to the Lord and say, Lord, would you please help me this morning to do the right thing? Help me to be stand on the integrity that the Bible makes clear I should. Help me to trust in you with all my heart. Finally, if you're here this morning listening or watching, and do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven. It's time for you to make that decision. It's time for you to trust the Lord as your Savior. Are you ready to do that? You say, Brother Rich, I've never been more ready. I want to be saved from my sin. Know for sure when I die that I'll have eternal life in heaven right there where you are. Stop your car. Stop walking. And would you tell the Lord what's happening in your heart right now? Would you tell him a simple prayer like this? The prayer is not what will save you, but it's your faith that will. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But right now, this very moment, I'm taking the free gift that Jesus provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm embracing that free gift that you promised to give me. And I'm taking that gift this very moment. I believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm taking your free gift of eternal life this very hour. Father, seal decisions. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.